0: So my entire social media feed this weekend, uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, TikTok, the Chinese uh, surveillance tool of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, the three social media platforms that I use the most, my feeds were filled with nothing but the surprise Blink-182 set at Coachella this weekend. And the set list was great. The guys sounded Fantastic. Um, Mark and Tom, and uh, obviously Travis, but Travis is the best musician in, in the band, so that goes without saying. The three of them sounded tighter than uh, any time I've ever seen them live, and I saw them live a lot growing up. Um, they used backing tracks, which I think uh, was a good idea, uh, especially as they're um, as their their uh, songs and music has become more complex over the years. Back back when I was a teenager, I kind of looked down on bands uh, for using pre-recorded uh, backing tracks. But uh, as an adult, it makes sense because um, bands aren't going to continue just playing three chords in a three-piece um, into their 40s and 50s. And uh, I, I have to say, uh, I, I had to I, I had to actually uh, navigate away because I was getting major FOMO, um, because tickets, the, the cheapest tickets to a Blink 182 show in the nosebleed section is still $170, putting it out of the reach of a lot of fans. And and I guess maybe, uh, that, that we're all, uh, us old Blink 182 fans are, are are getting into our thirties and forties. Um, Ticketmaster and Live Nation think that uh, we have Eagles fans money, you know, like we can afford a uh, Don Henley price ticket to go see our favorite band uh, from when we were growing up. But at least for me, that's not the case. And number one, I, I, I want to say the the main takeaway Uh, from this is that it's completely awesome that uh, it's not the original lineup, but it's the, the, the lineup uh, uh, that made them famous and, and, you know, everyone fell in love with, it's awesome. They're, they're back together, obviously between uh, Mark and Tom, the two front men, uh, there was some animosity in past years. And, and, and the big story, the the best news is that Mark Hoppus beat cancer and um, he's, he he not only beat cancer, but he's well enough to uh, play, um an hour and a half set every night and going on tour that's completely awesome uh but I'm still a little salty and bitter because I I feel like a lot of us have been left behind when it comes to these high ticket prices um and and we're being robbed of something that a lot of us have wanted to see for a very long time I'm sure the one percenters who can afford Blink-182 tickets um, it'll be a very emotional night with the reuniting of the uh, uh, classic Blink One Eighty Two lineup and Mark playing uh, his his first set since he got sick, and the way that uh, they handled them and Matt Skiba handled his departure from the band was was nothing but classy. But the fact remains that a lot of us feel jilted uh, because um, be, because. Uh, tickets to the show are way too expensive and honestly I I think that artists can do more and they should do more I remember um Blink-182 uh Taylor Swift um Bruce Springsteen for an older generation um they they their ticket sales uh events all made news because um post-pandemic Ticketmaster Live Nation have been a mess not only have they been a mess from a functionality uh, standpoint and an infrastructure standpoint, when you can get through, they've become robber barons. And, um, you know, like uh, I I remember after um, there was all those issues with the Ticketmaster website and prices were astronomical for the Blink-182 tour, Mark Hoppus got on Instagram and he was all like, Oh, man. Yeah, guys. I, I, I tried buying tickets, too, just to see what it was like. And I ran into these issues. Man, that stinks. Oh, I'm just as mad as you are. Well, for the people wealthy enough to be able to come see our show, uh, you're going to see you're going to see, you're going to get your money's worth. And, and same thing with Taylor Swift. I, I mean, Taylor Swift actually brought these Ticketmaster uh, issues into the mainstream. But she kind of did the same thing, too. Threw up her hands like, oh, man, you guys. Oh, Ticketmaster promised me they wouldn't do this. Ticketmaster uh, uh, said that they could handle the the demand and, and that ticket prices weren't going to go up. Well, there's nothing I can do. Sorry. And uh, I know that's a lie because enter Robert Smith from The Cure, who obviously he, he doesn't have the drawing power of a Bruce Springsteen or a Blink-182 or a Taylor Swift. But there, there was a decent amount of people who wanted to come uh, see them play because they haven't played the United States in a very long time. And what did he do, um, front man of the cure? Um, he disabled resale tickets, taking away the need. Uh, Ticketmaster's excuse for dynamic pricing. Um, they say they use dynamic pricing so that scalpers can't uh, buy tickets, turn around, and resell them, which has worked. Uh, Because scalpers and and the general public both can't afford concert tickets anymore. So Robert Smith, he put that stipulation in. Um, So once the tickets were gone, they were gone. But if he got a concert ticket, it was face value. And it wasn't jacked up uh, by a couple hundred dollars. Uh, And then he found out what kind of fees... The robber barons over at Ticketmaster have been charged charging, and he talked them into refunding a a a big number of that. I think twenty dollars per ticket. Which the fact that there's twenty dollars a ticket in fees, and that's only the, the the partial amount of fees, is just astronomical. So I I I honestly think that these artists. Um, you know they can sell they can sell tickets directly through their website. They don't necessarily have to go through Ticketmaster um, because Ticketmaster is a monopoly. I mean they can be called in um, in front of uh, Congress and the CEO can get a nice little talking to, and then you know one of the centers can go viral by quoting Taylor Swift, but nothing nothing gets done. And you know I wouldn't be surprised if uh, these artists are in cahoots with Ticketmaster because. Yeah, okay, but but Mike, why, why would Ticketmaster uh, want to take the blame? They they, they probably have, have a deal with the artist where they say to the artist, hey, we can fleece these suckers, and we can both make a butt-ton more money, and uh, you can just blame it on us. So it won't hurt your brand, and uh, you can just blame them on us. We'll be the bad guy. We'll both get even more rich uh, than we would have originally. And then you'd say, hey, Mike, well, why would Ticketmaster want to risk that but bad publicity? Because it doesn't matter. Because the only competition Ticketmaster had was Live Nation, and they bought them. It, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Amway when um, that that brand name became so um, uh, there, there was such a negative connotation connected to that brand name uh, that they just came up with new brand names so that people would buy them instead of saying "ew, Amway, I'm not buying that." The same thing with Ticketmaster and Live Nation. It's uh, it, it's essentially, they're essentially Lafayette and American Coney Island, the, the same company um, with different names. We may get some clarity from the Supreme Court this week on the fate of the widely used abortion drug Uh Late Friday, they actually put a five-day stay in place that wiped out all the other three um, federal court federal court decisions. It, it wiped out the Texas federal court decision that uh, um, just made it illegal for all states uh, to, to uh, allow it. Um, it wiped out the Washington state um, ruling that said it had to remain legal in all 17 states. It's already legalized. And then it wiped out the uh, Louisiana federal court decision um, saying that uh, turning back the clock to the year 2000, pretty much, and uh, saying that mifepristone uh, can be accessible. However, you need uh, three doctors' visits. Uh, you can only use it up to seven weeks, and you can't get it via mail. You have to go get it in person, which uh, was the case up until the pandemic. Um, and so the Supreme Court essentially put a five-day stay in place, saying that it should be a uh, a state-by-state decision, which is the reasoning they used for overturning Roe v. Wade in uh, Judge Kavanaugh's decision. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I, I'm, I'm not quoting directly, that... Uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year in no way makes abortion illegal in the United States. What it does is it puts the power back in the hands of the states to make their own de- decision. So what happened on Friday with the Supreme Court uh, has been um, consistent with that. And what's next for Mifeprestone is um, they are they are uh, going to wait until noon Tuesday to hear from the folks that brought the original lawsuits in Texas and Washington, and then after that they'll deliberate. So it so it's up in the air. Um, we might get some action on Tuesday. We might get a, a decision on Tuesday, or this thing might drag out. We'll, we'll see. But it, it seems like at least number one, it, it seems like the the Texas judge um, that outlawed Miff and Presto in all over the United States. It seems like there's a genuine. A, a general consensus uh, between Republicans and Democrats alike that uh, he overstepped his authority as a judge here. It's not a judge's uh, a decision to uh, write law; it's uh, Congress's decision. Um, but I think his goal was to get this Press Stone debate kicked up to the Supreme Court, which so far mission accomplished. And last week, I would have bet money that once it made it up to the Supreme Court being a conservative Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, that for sure that they were going to outlaw it. But to give the Supreme Court um, some credit here, they seem to be consistent with um, this, this state's right argument and these state's rights rulings. So it's very possible that uh, they'll just kick it back down to the lower courts and this thing will go back and forth and access to Mifepristone Um, will remain unchanged. An interesting legislation signed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis um, changing the um, jury threshold uh, for the death penalty from unanimous to only needing uh, an eight to four decision from the jury to sentence somebody to death. And this comes in the wake of the Parkland High School shooter, the the guy who, and again, I'm bad with names anyway, which is good because I I do make it a point to not learn these these mass shooters names. Uh, but the um, shooter at Parkland High School back in uh, I think it was 2018 killed 17, injured 17 more. Uh, it was so it, it was so horrific that it actually. Um, It actually spurned Florida to pass um, some more stringent gun laws like background checks and red flag laws after this happened. Uh, The guy who carried out that shooting, um, he did not get the death penalty. He got life in prison, I believe, uh, by 11-1 vote. So um, that's what spurned this legislation. Now they only need an 8-4 to vote to sentence someone to death. Now that's different from convicting them. Um, I, I guess in Florida what happens is is uh, you still need um, a unanimous jury consensus to convict someone of a crime, but then after that a jury decides on whether somebody gets the death penalty or not. I, I don't know if they do that all over the place. I was under the impression that here in Michigan and, all, and, and elsewhere the judges come down with the sentencing, but that's the way they do it in Florida. And, uh, look, my first instinct is to just shake my head and say, Florida's gonna Florida. This is another piece of crazy, conservative, dystopian legislation that they passed. But when you tie it to the Parkland shooting, and the fact that some guy who killed 17 innocent kids at a school one day escaped the death penalty. I mean, if there's someone who deserves the death penalty, it's that guy. And the fact that one juror spared his life, and now the uh, taxpayers of Florida are going to be on the hook for housing this 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 carbon-based life form for the next however many decades. Um, it's egregious. It, it is egregious. Now I think eight to four. I think that's a little lax. Um, I think that uh, maybe you change it to eleven to one or ten to two. I think eight to four could be abused, and especially with the way Florida is going, I can see somebody. Um, who committed a crime that that wouldn't necessarily be punishable by death in other states? Uh, the torch and fit, uh, pitchforks crowd going after somebody and and sentencing a lot more people to death who might not who might not necessarily um, commit crimes that rise to that threshold. I can see a lot of people who don't deserve the death penalty getting the death penalty with an eight to four uh, threshold, but I, I I definitely think you you could. Re-examine the unanimous, uh, the the unanimous uh, threshold, especially if the person has already been convicted um, by a jury, uh, where everyone on that jury has 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 uh, determined that they're guilty of a crime. Uh, so, like I said, eight to four, eight to four might be a little bit laxed. I'd have no problem with eleven to one, and uh, I would listen with ten to two.